to Johnny Fit Monday the 24th of October and this is Game On. Coming up today, Stephen Kelly is in studio to review the Premier League weekend as Seamus Coleman rolls back the years. I think someone said he's 13 years, almost to the day that he played, started playing for Everton and his performance was outstanding. Zaha is one of the best 1v1 players in the league. In the 1v1 moments, Seamus' determination, his quality, everything. And yeah, you can't you can't understate what it means to 34, having been injured, playing three games in a week, just a testament to his character and, um, and his quality. In rugby, Stephen Ferris and Ian Keatley will look back on the action at the Aviva Stadium from Saturday night as Munster apparently showed signs of hope, but Leinster showed they have even more strength and depth. Boxer out, near side of the pitch, and that's a classic Leinster try. Rob Russell with a try and the bonus point for Leinster. As we did uh, mention throughout the course of this game, just the quality of what Leinster had on the bench was going to make a huge, huge difference. Plus we have more detail on Ireland's draw for the Women's World Cup and Greg Allen is with us as Rory McIlroy becomes world's number one for the ninth time. If you want to get in touch, you can text us on 515 at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. So loads happened over the weekend. Stephen Kelly is with me here in a studio. But I think probably the main talking point from everything that happened over the weekend was Ronaldo and the reaction to Ronaldo, particularly Roy Keane having his back, making a few excuses for him, empathising um, with his situation. And then off the back of then that, then everybody had an opinion on what Roy Keane thought of Ronaldo. Ruby, we know that Ronaldo's a team player. Well, he plays for a team, but he feels like the ultimate individual within the team. You were an individual sports person. Can you relate to him in any way? Mm, I hope not. Um, <laughs> can I relate to him in any way? No, but uh, I don't know. I suppose you can look at the situation and evaluate it however you so wish. But when you do look at it, I suppose, as a, a sports person, you kind of get the feeling that Cristiano Ronaldo hasn't realised he's replaceable. And unfortunately, whoever you are or whatever you do in life, everybody in a working environment is replaceable. Uh, I was aware of that as a jockey. I could see that coming before I ended and everybody's going to be replaced. And it's how you choose then to finish up. I mean, Roy got replaced in Manchester United, ended up at Celtic. Uh, Ryan Giggs ended up on the bench and playing cameo roles. Uh, it happens to every sports person, Stephen. I'm sure you can relate to it too, but you can't stop yourself from slowing down and you can't stop younger people from taking over uh, and it's how you deal with that you either see it coming and get out before it happens to you or you deal with it if you've chosen to stay that long yeah it's it's a hard one isn't it because like you're getting older and the the younger players just seem to keep on getting younger and they're coming in and chasing you you're you're getting like he's 37 now and lads are in the team they're 18 19 20 and um energy physically they're they're going to be able to do more than what you can do and uh, it's coming to terms with that and obviously we've seen Ronaldo over the years his change of a winger tricky winger to being a centre forward scoring goals that's an, a huge adaptation that he's been able to adjust to massively but this final part is very hard and I suppose when he's still competing and when he still probably sees himself as being a Ballon d'Or winner in his own mind I'd say that's probably very hard when he doesn't feel he's been given the platform to do it on but I think it's yeah I don't think he can act the way he has I don't think he can walk down the tunnel I think that's wrong I, but I do feel there's been a lot going on behind the scenes with Manchester United that's, that's played a massive part in it and it's it's just stoked the fire with him which I think you know if he, he should have just been allowed to go I know they're saying there was an interest but there would have been interest um, I know they probably want a financial reward with that I, I just think there's a lot more going on to it 
to antagonise a member player like himself. But again, you, you're the one that has to be in the situation and keep your head cool and be and, and be the bigger person because there's at times in your career where you, stuff happens to you which you feel completely unjustified for. And it's about how you deal with it. If you can just get, get your head down and continue on and be the bigger person or else you try to toys out of pram. Unfortunately, he's trying to toys out of pram and now everybody's got a massive opinion of him. And you don't want to, you don't want that any way to, I don't think it takes away from what he's achieved or what he's done, but people will have a lesser opinion of him, which is, which is wrong. There are pundits as well, and probably most of them are former teammates of his, Ruby, that feel that Ten Hag should have treated him a little bit differently, that he should have communicated with him in um, a clearer way so he knew where he stood. When someone is that much of a, a high achiever and is used to being the best at what they do, a bit like you when you were a jockey, Ruby, did people... I keep comparing you to Ronaldo, but that's just in terms That'd of be great. success. I, 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 I'm taking it here, Marie, I'm taking it. Um, do people treat you different, differently to like every other jockey that maybe wasn't as good as you were? I, I don't know, Marie, because it's, it's probably a hard one to... I never thought about it. I never looked at it that way. So I don't have an answer to you. Should you be treated differently? No, uh, you are the same as other people. I heard you on the radio yesterday um, and yourself and Joanne were talking about Rory McIlroy talking about fatherhood and Joanne happened to say they're just, an, just to hear him talking like a normal person. Well, no matter how good you are in sport, ultimately that's all you are is a normal person. You're the same as everybody else. You breathe the same air. So should you be treated differently? Probably not, Marie. And... Uh, look, I, I don't know what as Stephen is saying. There's ins and outs going on at Manchester United that none of us are aware of. Should Eric Ten Hag have spoken to Roy Ke or to Cristiano Ronaldo more frankly? Maybe he should have. Perhaps he did. We don't know. None of us were there for that conversation. Should Cristiano Ronaldo known where he stood? Well, if he can't see where he stands, I that's probably a failure on his behalf. One other thing into the mix as well, like he's gone through a really difficult time from a personal point of view as well losing his son not that long ago so I think that should be considered as well when you're looking at his behaviour um, and just you know maybe that's something that's affecting him as well and maybe when something like that does happen to somebody they should be treated a little bit differently If that was in a normal starving Stephen if that was in a normal work environment though Marie would you not take leave? Mm -hmm. So therefore yeah. Should he be taking leave, if you know what I mean? Is that was I think that's what would happen in a normal working environment with human with HR and whatever else. So that is maybe that doesn't happen in sport. It does It's a it's a completely different environment. To, like you're you're not that you're expected to be different in mindset, but you're you're able you're supposed to be able to deal with circumstances like that in a different way and still continue on doing your job, which is. It, it's, it's kind of alien and a lot of people don't really understand that but you would have been the same Ruby you, you're at like huge events or huge things you, you don't even think about missing them because in a way you're not allowed to show weakness I feel no, as a sports yeah. person well you'd know better than I would yeah you probably aren't and look I to be in a situation that Cristiano Ronaldo was in I don't think anybody would want to be in that situation on a personal level so how you deal with it I'm afraid I can't comment on it because I haven't been in that situation and I most certainly hope that I'm never in a situation where by I can comment on it so um, I'm going to leave that one anyway because that's something you would have to experience to be passing comment on I think I think yeah. a lot of this stems back to you remember at the start and this I always did I didn't like this at the start of the season when there was loads all the, everything was coming out saying he won't fit in Ten Hag's plans He's Ten Hag doesn't want them all and this was all coming out so this was coming from somewhere it was being released from somewhere which he 
you know, as a player, it, there's always something that that's 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 let that out or it's come from his camp or something. Whereas, and at that point, there was no conversation. I don't well, as far as I'm concerned, there was no conversation had between himself and Ten Hag. Whereas, if that was the case, you pick up the phone and you have a frank conversation with someone. And I don't think Ten Hag is the type of person to shy away from confrontation. He doesn't strike me as that type of person. So, I'd be very surprised if he hasn't just gone and called him and said, "Listen, you're not part of my plans. I don't want to be disrespectful for you, but this is it." And you know, then you take on the chin and move on with it. But I, the way Ronaldo's reacting, I kind of feel that hasn't happened. Which, you know, I, I'm not making any excuses for him. He still absolutely shouldn't have done what he did. But there's always something that pushes you over the over the line, isn't there? Do you not think, though, Stephen? He surely has watched soccer all his life and watched the career of whoever his idols were and watched how they finished. Would it never have dawned on him that there will come a day where I will be an impact sub? I one hundred percent. I think that's the case. Absolutely. But if and he, I, I still believe this, and I'm not saying I, I completely agree with Ryan, but I believe him in a team that that plays good football will still score a huge chunk of goals for the season and I know they talk about pressing and the way the team play and all that sort of stuff which which is huge it's fundamental to how like Liverpool fundamental to how the whole team is successful is by how the whole team play but is he is he better than Marcus Rashford as a centre striker sometimes I would say yes <laughs> Uh, even Depending now, on what Marcus Rashford uh, turns out and plays, if you yeah. want him, if you want someone that's going to run channels and chase defenders, then no. If you want someone to score goals and put the ball in the back of the net, I would say absolutely yes. And that's that's the fundamentals of it. And it's whether or not you can build a team around producing the quality into the areas that's going to get your striker to score goals. Like Haaland doesn't have to track back. Haaland doesn't have to. He's a central striker. He's looking at sometimes the, he doesn't even have to touch the look ball. At, look at the limited amount of touches he has in a game. Like I always, I always think if. If Ronaldo played for Man City, and it is all hypothetical, but he would score an absolute abundance of goals because they were crazy loads for him. Different team, different circumstances, different way of playing. Um, and he'd probably kick himself if he did have, have an opportunity to go there because it would have been madness. But I, I, I just that's that's what's in his head, I think, and that's why you probably find it hard to go over. There always comes a time when when you, yes, you're not gonna you're gonna be surplus to requirements. But I do you think you're better than what's currently on the pitch ahead of you, and I think he still thinks he does, and I think a lot well. I still think he is to some of those players. But I think most sports people think that anybody in, at that level thinks they're better than the fella on the pitch yeah, or a woman to. on the pitch because they to. want to be on it. Yeah. So like you're always going to have that opinion of yourself regardless of, <laughs> of where you are but you also have to be realistic and to me the disappointing part was why didn't he go on and see if you could nick one in the last two minutes yeah. and then turn around and say that, here you only gave me two minutes I got one. If you gave me 20 minutes what would I get? That's exactly it. Why, why don't you fuel that fire and put it onto it and let your feet do the talking, which is always what I've always said. If you, your feet can do the talking and not your actions, then it's a lot better. Okay, well, no doubt we'll be talking about that. For Tell you what he would have done, Marie. On, he maybe. definitely would have taken one of the chances Van Dijk had at the weekend. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll be talking about that later on. We are now going to talk about the Women's World Cup that is coming up next summer. And the news was announced by Orshi today that they are going to be shown all of the games, which is absolutely fantastic. Emma Duffy of the 42 is with us here on the line. Emma, as well as knowing that they're going to be on Orshi, we also got the times that they're going to be on. And they're very friendly to Ireland, which is brilliant. Hi Marie, how are things? Yeah, very, very favourable. Really good news for, for Irish fans who won't be travelling to Australia who will be watching from home. The fact that they're, I suppose, morning games, I'm not too sure the time zone. I'm still a bit um, a bit confused whether it's 10 or 11 a.m. for the first or for the first game and the last game in the group and then the other one's looking like 1 p.m. So like 
favourable times, I suppose, will definitely invoke memories of when we were younger. I suppose I remember the 2002 World Cup, the, the TV being wheeled into the classroom, so we hope to see more of that next summer. So, yeah, really exciting time. And it, actually, it absolutely feels real now, doesn't it? Like, the fact that Ireland were in the draw on Saturday, we have fixtures now, TV details have been confirmed, it's absolutely happening. I'm glad I didn't go to your school if they're going to wheel the TV in in July. But anyway, um, I was glad to have July off. But um, th- th- they're favourable. But what about the locations? Oh, I mean, Sydney to Perth, Perth to Brisbane, madness. five hours one way, five and a half the other way. Who jumped up that? It's crazy. Isn't it? Yeah, it's, it is a little bit mad because like, you're talking about going from coast to coast and back again. Um, and obviously Australia is an absolutely massive country and so it will be lengthy flights Ireland probably have got the short straw in terms of travel but look I suppose it's not something that Vera Powell and her team will will complain about they're there it's where they want to be and I think they'd go to they'd go to the moon to play in the World Cup like it I don't think it matters um, all of that but obviously it is a little bit of a disadvantage but in the group that they're in they're all kind of in the same boat Given how complicated the qualification process was, I'm not surprised that the fixtures have uh, left people very uh, confused as to the thought process behind it as well. Um, Stephen, one thing that Vera Pai said, she was doing her media, she was over in New Zealand, she's actually, I saw her pictures of her in Sydney today in, in the stadium checking it out, was that she's been getting a lot of emails from people who now have connections to Ireland and want to play for Ireland, which is understandable. Ireland have now qualified for a World Cup. What should she do in this situation? Should she go and get the best players that she possibly can or should she be loyal to the women that have got her there? Uh, you have to be loyal. You have to be loyal at this stage now to, for those for those women and those girls. Uh, nobody uh, can see Ruby, yeah. but I don't think Ruby agrees. With no, this, no, he doesn't. Way. He doesn't. But like, if you if you if, if you think to those girls and those women that have put themselves what they've gone through over the years, like five years ago, striking mm. for Ireland, you think that it's a lot. Di- it's a bit different to the men's game to sit to where we are and, and what we've done, and just bringing players in and. But the sense of achievement that these have got ha- is huge, and it's been a, a really. I know you want to bring the best. Like, listen, if you could bring in the best player in the world and have them play for you, who wouldn't want that? But the the people that have fought so hard to get there deserve a, a fighting chance to go and play in a major tournament. And I know that sounds wrong, but it, it's not probably to the best for the country for success. But for this massive tournament, I think the people that, that have got us there deserve an opportunity to to play in it. Oh, I'd be kind of on the fence a little bit. It would depend really on. <laughs> You know, injuries came in, or someone went missing, and they had to be replaced. You know, it could be debatable as to who you be who you be replacing them with. I would think. I think if, if it's if it's replacing a player that's not that's not that's mm. not there, or someone that's injured, I think that's that's but up this for grabs. Be picking either or. But I think if you're if you've had a squad of players and you're going to like if you're going to drop one of those players for some person that gets an Irish passport two weeks before they go to a major tournament you know <laughs> I, I've never been I've never been one for that I've never been one just you want to play for us now you should have wanted to play for us from the get go mm. you know you may improve the side because you're technical building because your quality as a player but or do you want to play for Ireland or you don't and I've always had a, an issue with this as a player going through I'm like you're the Irish you know it's as simple as that. Did it ever happen to you that you were the expense of somebody else? You were left out of the squad, somebody that had produced a passport at the last minute? Fortunately, not. I don't think. Um, no, I don't think so. But I've, there's players that have come into the squad that, listen, players come in the squad and they, they, they got their passport a week or two before they arrive and they first come in and doesn't like they're just a welcomed into the team. There's nothing about it. And then the longer with the squad, the more they become. They mm. they become they become ingrained in it, and it's like they're part of the team. But it's that initial thing. Is there someone else? Like I always felt Matt Doherty was one of those players that missed out on getting mm. shed load of caps because players were given caps based on the fact that 
they, you know, they, they, they got, like I said, they, they were sought out to become Irish rather than seeking out to be Irish. Emma, what do you think? Yeah, I suppose it is. It is obviously difficult, um, and I, I completely take both of the lads' sentiments on board there. Um, well, I probably lean slightly more towards Stephen. And um, the one thing, though, I suppose it ha- it has been something that Pau has explored through her ten years so far. She has unearthed a lot of Irish eligible players, the likes of Lily Ag, Pierre Cruz, who are regular squad men, but there's many more as well. I'm thinking Eva Colville, who's at Glasgow City, is currently out with a knee injury, and um, so she'll be pushing to get back but I think there is a, a massive pool of players there there is a, a, a huge depth of talent there um, unearthed already and I suppose it's about narrowing it that, narrowing that down between now and next July like I think it's 23 uh, is, is the squad and um, the official squad that will have to be handed in I'm not too sure you'll need to double check that Marie but just I suppose in terms of being in Australia you know if you have people on standby all these factors come into it so far away you have to get players just to the new time zone I'd imagine there will be players out there as well on standby but yeah I, I don't know if that's really going to come into it but obviously it is an interesting thing to talk about and um, particularly so far out at the minute It's going to be so hard as well to try and keep the squad fit because we know how susceptible women are to injuries all we have to do is look at Jessu and Ellen Malloy only in the last few weeks now um, suffering cruise hits and being ruled out for the World Cup already yeah, really unfortunate injuries in particular to, to Zoo and Malloy because, as you say, the fact that they are really long-term injuries and they are ruled out already. Uh, and then we have players on the comeback trail, the likes of Leanne Coonan, who's undergone surgery successfully and she'll be pushing to get back in the frame there. And Megan Connolly, who missed the last uh, the last window that playoff against Scotland, Ruth Little John, you know, even when you think back to before that game, the injury list, it was it was huge. Everything was kind of going against Ireland, and um, what they do when it did, it does show the depth in, in the squad and how much that has come on in, in recent years. But yeah, I think it will be a case of probably trying to to wrap some of uh, some of the players and those are wrap the closer the tournament comes. But look, I suppose you can't really restrict players either. You just have to go out and play and hope for the best. Stephen, it's nine months away. That's two players gone already. Is that not more reason to issue a few passports, get a few ladies into the system and see who we have in the background just so things go pear-shed? I mean, nothing worse than realising the week before you could do what happened, yeah, no, doesn't see, it? I don't disagree with you saying if if you have long-term injuries and players can't go, that's 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 one thing. Explore different avenues and if you can have players that are going to increase the quality of squad, yeah, yeah, possibly. But if there's been players that have been in the squad already, have been peripheral on the outskirts. Yeah, that's and what I'd love to see. Yeah, and they've, yeah. they've been in it and they've then now they're going to miss an opportunity to someone else yeah I, I think it's great yeah. add quality as much as you can but I just feel like it's been such a collective for these women mm-hmm. and girls for such a long time and being such a such a story to get on level terms paying everything for I, I think this is a bit different to and who knows what would happen when they're given the opportunity yeah exactly but there's the hard one Marie so you're Vera Pau and all of a sudden you're in Australia and they get beaten by Australia they go off in Canada beat them and then never would the same well why didn't you bring those players you could have yeah but I don't think Vera Pau is going to do that Vera Pau is going out there to win football matches yeah. and she's going to bring the exact same squad or the, the best squad that she wants to bring and I don't think that it, it's going to be 
picked on sentiment it'll be picked on performance because Vera Powell isn't from Ireland she has a deep connection to Ireland now but she's a really good manager and the reason she has got this team to where they are is because she's a really good manager she makes the tough decisions she makes the best calls for the team she doesn't pick people because she thinks they deserve uh, to be in the squad because they've been around for a really long time and, and I think she's going to do that again when the World Cup comes around So Emma listening to Marie can we expect passports to be issued? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I look. I I think I I agree with Marie says there. Like, and hey, I wasn't on the call the other day, but she did come across very strong in in her in her thoughts and opinions on the matter. Um, so yeah, I I don't think it's going to be a, a big a big deal. I don't think it's going to turn into something big over the next while. Like like I say, there is a massive pool of players there, and I think there's more than enough strength and depth to, to choose from. So Emma, when you look at all the travelling involved and you think back to five years when there was the strike to get the women to where they are now, will the FAI put their hand in the pocket? Will they go to the front of the bus to Australia? When they have to travel six hours across Australia, will they have legroom? Will they be stretched out? Are they going to fund this properly? You'd hope so, really. Like, that's, that's all you can hope. And obviously, 2017, as you say, the strike, that is a massive reference point and it has been touched on time and time again since, since Ireland have qualified for the first ever major tournament. And I do think, obviously, so much has happened to the years, but we are seeing serious commitment and backing towards the women's team in, in recent years. As Stephen mentioned, they pay parity to big sponsorship deals from Sky and from Cadbury and just different things, even with the National League here, increased coverage increased interest so I do think like this is a massive opportunity obviously the first ever major tournament what more do you want to grow the game and to bring women's football in Ireland to the next level than this so I do think they, they have to completely support and, and back this team every single step of the way and make sure that they're given every opportunity to succeed at this tournament I think the sponsors as well, Emma, will be queuing up to get behind this team, um, as we will be over the next nine months. Emma Duffy, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take a very quick break, but do stay with us. Uh, we'll be talking more football after these. Game on on 2FM. We've a text in for a shout out for the ladies in Cranford Monaseed Camogie Club in Wexford who won the county final yesterday and they're playing in the ladies football final next Sunday. Lots of dual players there, no doubt. Thought you were going to say tonight. I was thinking, my God. I mean, it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibilities, and we're looking at the fixtures in women's sport, but we're not going to go there today, Ruby. Oh. Let's go to Premier League because Stephen Kelly was at Villa yeah. Park. Nottingham Forest, Liverpool. Uh, Good place to start, Stephen Kelly. Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Should have turned this off. He wants to go straight, straight in, the, straight in the deep end, Ruby. I thought we could just talk about Villa for just a avoid year, them. So minutes. where are we going? Where are we going? We're going. Uh, let's let us let us start with with Villa though, because you were there yesterday and you got to see firsthand. Um, how the Villa players reacted to the departure of Steven Gerrard and like I, I just can't get my head around how a team can play like that under a new manager just a few days later is it a case that Steven just wasn't any good? It was almost slightly embarrassing yeah. how well they played like all, they were out of the traps they were since I don't know whether they got such an early goal so well and they started so brightly and then they just continued on and then the momentum grew and three goals in 15 minutes they were it? on fire they and <laughs> they, they Raya the goalkeeper for Brentford it could have been six or seven pulled off like three or four fantastic saves as well they pummeled them Brentford were awful absolutely awful weren't in the game at all a couple of moments Tony was completely isolated but Villa were there wasn't a player on the pitch that didn't have an outstanding Tyrone Mings looked like Van Dyke, like he was clearing everything no he scored <laughs> yeah, he sco- yeah, yeah 
um, he was like his positional sense he was commanding he was clearing balls he wasn't making mistakes um, again I know it was against Brentford who were really poor but yeah it, it was. I reckon I was, we were, I was on comms talking about it and I was like if Jared's watching this he switches off after two minutes because he was just that's he's seen enough like if how can they produce this after me just going and you know sometimes it is just a case of a manager leaves and the players feel like you know it's a fresh start they, they have a chance to impress and they they, 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 they pull a performance out which, which looked very much the case there is question marks though about whether he was the brains behind the operation up in Rangers and when you look at QPR and um, Mike Veal you have to wonder who was really calling the shots yeah, well, QPR are flying like mm-hmm. almost top of the table, and again, not a team that w- anybody would have tipped to be near there. Um, and the fact that he's been he's been headhunting to try the Wolves have tried to get him as a as a head coach, um, and so have Villa supposedly as well to bring him back, which is pretty impressive considering he's on the staff with Jared. Um, shows you what they think of the situation. It's hard to know whether everything was coming from him if it was coaching, and, and Jared was just more of an actual manager. Mm-hmm. You know, not not an old school coach, not an old school. Um, just one to one manager deals with players and it's not too much on the on the on the coaching side of things. But I couldn't really imagine that. What I expect him to be a bit, a bit more modern thinking and the way he got he approaches it. So it's just so surprising. But like I said, the, the performance level and the energy, the enthusiasm from the team was absolutely it was, it was actually scary to watch to think that this is what can happen. And I've probably been in situations like that before, but it's almost <laughs> more daunting when you watch it from the sides. Obviously Stevie G is gone from Villa. What about Leeds? Six changes yesterday. Didn't happen though. No, no, it didn't. I, they just look so leaky. They look, they look so open defensively. Um, they had one clear off the line really on early on, um, and and Fulham, Fulham are playing great. Fulham are playing really good football. They look, they they're attractive to watch. They, they're 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 solid as well. Um, but I've watched Leeds a couple of times now this season, and they just look. They're that gung ho side that and defensively he hasn't been able to get a partnership with any of his back four the, the two centre backs he's chopped and changed them he just doesn't know what's going to make, make make them tight and solid and I think that they're so open and expansive at times that they just get broken through um, loads of energy loads of enthusiasm play some real eye catcher football but they, they just don't have the resilience and what they're missing now is is people scoring goals as well which is what they what they had before which is sometimes they'd win games 4-3 or crazy scores like that but now I don't think they're capable of that Is Jesse Marsh the next Premier League manager that's going to be gone? You would say yes. You would say on uh, you know Brendan Rodgers would have been closer but he seems to have pulled out a bag they're back on mm-hmm. track um, really big wins clean sheets change turned their fortunes over so you say March is definitely the one that's on the slippery slope and I think going into the World Cup it's it's probably a good time to get rid of a manager I know it sounds terrible and it's yeah. really, really you can have a little mini preseason yeah, yeah, you can, yeah you can you can you if you can bring a manager in and he can have the team for like two to three weeks on his own shape working with them getting to know them before they go into a game so it seems like the perfect time almost so you say Brendan Rodgers has swung around with Leicester but next week he has to play a Man City who just seemed to keep rolling on 3-1 against Brighton didn't even have all the possession at home only 48 of the possession compared to Brighton's 52 but that could have been 4 or 5-1 oh yeah they're, I, I almost think City they're amazing when they have the ball and they they they, they keep it the triangles in the front front four front front five at times when they're passing that but when they don't have the ball now they're almost more dangerous because at any moment they can just break with pace and as soon as the team feels right let's get up the pitch let's press high let's get forward then you've got that one ball over the top of Halla and the difference with City is there's about five or six I know we're looking at the Brian the most times but the goalkeeper there's five or six players that can play that long pass with accuracy that will put him through and you know there's no stopping them and 
that's it. It's like the counter-attack of football they can play is off the charts. And that wasn't something that they had, not not a one-ball counter-attack that you had. They, they have that now, and it's it's changed everything for them because they can lull teams in and then just counter-attack them. They're, they're frightening. Arsenal dropped points at the top of the table as well, which no doubt Pep will be happy about. Uh, one all against Southampton. We were watching it yesterday and Gavin Bazunu did all right inside in goals as well, just conceding that one goal. But I guess it was kind of inevitable that Arsenal were going to slip at some stage that consistency that they'd been shown for so long. Um, when you're playing all the time and, and juggling Europe and everything, it's difficult. Uh, like, say you've dropped points. Everybody has dropped points. So I think it's funny that, like, I'm kind of maybe I'm hoping for Arsenal to drop a load being Spurs. Um, but it's it's weird. Everybody's kind of said, oh, they're going to drop points at some point. They're going to drop points. Of course they will. But it's it's the the amount of points they're going to drop. And will they, will they consistently drop points back to back? Or are they capable of having a draw? that they should, probably should have won they had the better chances realistically I think um, Bazuna pulled off some, some from really good save close close call shot straight at him but he still had to save them and do well for them and the position sense was excellent um, but it's whether or not that they can continue on to not let this turn into two or three poor results on the bounce or whether they can and I don't think they will be two or three I actually think they're capable of coming back again now I think they're at times in that game they showed great quality and in, in the forward areas they, they look they look so good but it wasn't their day and I I, I think they're they're capable of, of continuing on this run but they have an ideal opportunity next Saturday I mean they've bottom of the table Nos Forest at home it's an ideal opportunity to get the wheels back on the bike well, you would think that would be the case wouldn't you <laughs> you would think that would be the case team you up nicely there he's a uh, third attempt now <laughs> um, on, yeah no I, 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 yeah, for, Forest I think Forest are, are even though they got the win I would say they're, they're the dead starts to go I'd say based on just there's no cohesion with the, with the team so many signings none of them gelling together um, I think most teams that have played them prob- even though they beat Liverpool they should have beat them they, they really should have um, I saw what they drew against West Ham West Ham peppered them like they, there's two off the post keeper pulled off three or four great saves and I think that was a draw um, in every game they've been in they, they look like they were the losing side so I would say yeah you know, Arsenal go up against them it's a great opportunity to, to get themselves back on track because then Forrest are not a team that I would say you know will really cause that many teams problems just because I feel they, they, they struggle I know Alisson pulled off a couple of good saves in that game but Liverpool had a, had a huge amount of chances We know that they have the ability because we saw them against Manchester City and you can just even see from the players that they have within their squad that they have um, they have talent there but they're not able to put those performances back to back is it just a case that they don't have the energy that they're mentally fatigued as well from everything that Klopp has demanded from them? I don't know. I, don't, I don't, yeah, honestly, no one seems yeah, to know. I'm, I'm, you're, you're, you're looking at it. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're trying to figure out exactly what's going wrong, and like analytically, you pull apart and you say it it's definitely has to be the way the team are compressed and the way they, they you kind of feel that that's just changed slightly. And I think they're running now legs in the middle of the park, mm. which is not something that's happened because Mane's gone that's something that was gradually winding down the way we talked about Ronaldo seeing the end knowing that that's coming <clears throat> Klopp as the manager he has to see that these players are coming to a point where they can't do exactly what he wants them to do physically because of the demand he puts on them when it comes to pressing high up the pitch getting the ball back retaining it um, it's so high that you have to freshen that up and I, I just don't think they have done that and I think that's where where it comes from um, and then on top of that they're in a bad vein of form so it's it's up and down so the, they can't get back into a level of of consistency that they had before but that it, it's a combination of loads of different things happening and that's resulting in that They're a big team to go down to the weekend of course War Spurs Yeah I know Hugo Lloris you buying him a Christmas present? No I'm, I'm actually I'm 
I, I don't I'm going to say I don't have my Spurs hat on for this one but I actually genuinely thought that was a foul yeah, I, I, I genuinely in the that. moment I, yeah, I, was, I, yeah. I think if I'm a defender right and I'm on a, and a, and a striker's running past me and he knocks it past me and I run into him I miss the ball and run into him and knock him over that's a foul it is a foul but what if the striker runs straight into you is that a foul yeah but I, I still I still think if if you've no no attempt to play the ball then it's a foul I think I, I like I know he's gone he's looking for it but sometimes they don't want to give it I, I do think it's a foul I think he's clear that he's gone into him and I think so you should move out of the way and say no, please no, I, I, run I, I past me and have ha, have the pitch to yourself I don't think you can move out of the way and I'm probably going to get hated now for saying this but I was just all spores but I, I, in that moment I thought that actually was a foul it doesn't, it doesn't excuse the fact that you know he still got lobbed and get back in and then the, the second goal like defensively Amron great finish mm. goes past, but he goes past Lonely like he's not there Sessions fighting him no one gets across and then even Luis comes out and he squirms underneath him. He gets down. He doesn't get down quick enough. So, I, I, and he, I think he had chance to to actually adjust himself and pull it back onto his left foot properly and then finish it. Whereas that shouldn't have happened. And I think Tottenham, but Tottenham had some good chances in the game and, and played quite well. Son missed a great chance where, um, as a Pope's pulled off a really good save with his right arm, he tried to chip over him and Trippier clears off the line. I think there was moments in the game where Spurs could have could have gone on to win it, but it, it was uh, Newcastle are just just flying at the moment. Should Conte be getting a little bit more criticism for being so negative? Yes and no. Yes, in the fact that you think with the forward players he has on the pitch, they should be flying forward and keep and, and scoring loads of goals. And but it, it's where people want Tottenham to be. And if Tottenham are a top four team at the moment, which they currently are, if they finish there in the end of the season, that's what they want. Are they going to realistically challenge for the title? Probably not when you look at it. Like Arsenal are challenging for title, we wouldn't have said they are currently. Will mm-hmm. they be at the end of the season? Not too sure. We always thought it was going to be between City and Liverpool again, um, and then maybe a Chelsea or someone pop up because of the quality of players they have. But if Tottenham were to finish in the top four and continue to be there, then that that's that's his that's what that's what he needs to do. He needs to deliver that. And you know, Champions League is another big one, and they need a big win on Wednesday to to make sure that they survive that. Casemiro got a late uh, equaliser for United against Chelsea but both are just too far behind Man City Chelsea and, and Manchester United and I look with Manchester United had on me thought they had enough opportunities to score more goals but they, they're just not in the same league as Man City are they? They're not At the moment like Arsenal are above them but I don't think anybody's in the same league as Man City it's they're they're, they're just a side that have options everywhere and then they've got this goal machine in front that no one can compete with but like yeah I think United played quite well again I think they, they had some really good chances um, Chelsea were digging in for a lot defending quite well I think looked a bit looked resilient and under Potter they, they've definitely improved they've, which is crazy to think because they're the two good won the Champions League not too long ago but again both of these teams are steadily getting better I think they're, they're starting to, to creep up the table and, and will start to be pushing whether they be pushing for a title I, I still think it's way too soon but they're definitely getting more like Champions League teams teams that are being the top four so it's going to make it really tight and congested towards the end of the season which would be great because you know hopefully that, that's something that's still being contested <laughs> when we're watching it Yeah that's what you want and just speaking of leagues being contested Stephen tonight uh, could see Shamrock Rovers crowned the League of Ireland champions if Derry City fail to beat Sligo Rovers we thought it was going to be a bit more dramatic it might be dramatic on Sunday next Sunday when um, Derry play Shamrock Rovers but it looks like it's 
it's going to go to number 20 for Shamrock Rovers or 20th league title yeah listen they've, they've been the dominant force haven't they they've they've recruited well their coaching staff they've everything from the ground up seems to be really well organised the stadium's fantastic for, for League of Ireland standards for, for a lot of standards and they just seem to be a team that, that do the right things the right way and it, they're very hard to compete with that, that's mm-hmm. the things they're, they're hard to compete with and since they've got on this vein of form and, and got this got everything right about them from like I said from the, from the ground up it, it makes it it's like like anything if you have a team that's set up to win and has it has a structure in place and then has the, the team and, and you can also attract the best players in the league as well um, it, it's going to make it very hard and you know they, they go about the business and they started off you know it wasn't, it wasn't all clear sailing for them but it looks like to show the resilience to come back and to be pushing on both fronts as well to be in playing in Europe at, you know, doesn't make it easy for them, but to still be getting back to a position where they can win the league, it's it's really impressive. I just bought tickets for the game against Derry City before we came on air, and I've just realised right now I'm working. So, <laughs> Ruby, there's two tickets there for next Sunday's League of Ireland game between Derry City and Shamrock Rovers, if you want them. I'd say you should offer them as a prize now during the week, Marie. Yeah. On game on. Seems to be struggling for prizes, now we have a prize. There you go. You the, you the presenter. There's a prize, look. <laughs> Right, we'll ask a proper question though. Don't, don't want to yeah, use and just give away a question. Yeah. You have to ask <laughs> a question. So whoever win, yeah. Like proper how question. Titles are Shamrock Rovers going to win if they get this one, um, which I might have just given the answer to. Okay, let's take a very quick break. Stephen, thank you so much for coming in. We will have rugby very very shortly. Game on on two FM. Welcome back. It is time to turn our attention to rugby and I'm delighted to say that Stephen Ferris and Ian Keatley are with us as they are every Monday. Um, Stephen, I'm going to go to you first because you've been quite critical of Munster over the last while and um, although it seems like they were moving in the right direction, um, I'm not sure what the takeaways for you will be from their performance against Leinster on Saturday evening. Were you impressed at all? Um, do you know what? Like they put his body on the line. So I've listened to Graham Roundtree's pre-match interview, and he was absolutely pumped up. And he looked like he was about to take the pitch himself. He was in the zone. Um, you know, he was talking up his players, and you know the performance would do the talking. And we all know that Lancer butchered a number of opportunities, and you know eventually ran out winners. But I thought the, the way Munster dug in, like their scramble defence, it was a bit like the last 10 minutes against the Bulls a week before and they kind of picked up where they left off and you know there's a lot of inexperience in the pitch uh, as well you know playing against arguably the best team in Europe at the minute too so yeah like I I think it's small steps forward but you know Munster you know inevitably haven't registered enough wins in the competition so far and find themselves hovering around the the bottom area of the table and you know they're going to have to pick it up because before you know it you're, you're playing catch up and for for me, I think Munster are in that position at the minute. Ian, we know there was a huge difference in the experience of the players on both sides, but just to to look at the game coldly, pace, power, direction, aggression, it all seemed to be with the blue side over the red side. I know they scrambled in defence, but it, it just seemed to be a huge gulf. Yeah, there is there is a big gulf. I think Leinster and Ulster are probably the, the two main teams in, in Ireland at the moment with uh, Munster and uh, Connacht playing catch-up but as Stephen said there I think Leinster uh, blitzed them early in the first 5-10 minutes and probably could have scored another two tries but in fairness to Munster they, they got belief from, from not conceding uh, from from forcing a, a knock-on or two over the line and then they just grew in confidence uh, in the match and it was it was it was kind of like if they could have scraped a win there I think it would have really um, 
done Munster the, the world of good but as you said there it's just too much pace power accuracy and they can just score from anywhere um, Leinster and they, they did it on the weekend they, they scored their usual pick and goes or I know they, Dan, Dan Sheen scored off a mall or he broke off a mall and so did Luke McGrath but then that last um, try that Russell scored was just what, what do you expect from Leinster like even in the conditions they, they're free flowing and, and it was a lovely try to watch Stephen as players as Munster players can they take away anything from a defeat like that? Um, it's a learning experience of course it is you, know, you talk about the experience uh, one thing that I touched on over the last couple of weeks was that the Munster line out needed to improve um, it, it certainly did improve it was much better um, they got inroads. Uh, they had a couple of really good malls. I think when Kilcoyne came off the bench, he, he made a bit of an impact at, at scrum time. I still think the front row is an area of concern. Um, you know, going forward into Europe, uh, going against the, the, the big, strong South African teams, you know, it, it just feels that they're a little light. Keenan Knox is getting a hard time week in, week out. But yeah, I, I think you know a couple of bright sparks like Crowley. He was brilliant again. I thought he was very, very good. Um, obviously, you know, half decent off the bench again against the Bulls. So it's about to- taking very small things out of the game and, uh, and trying to improve on, on everything else. And if Graham Roundtree sees improvement in a squad, that's all you can ask for. Because, you know, it, uh, as you know, Ian Keatley touched on three weeks ago, it just takes a couple of games. And if one of those clicks, and you get a bit of momentum. Then you welcome back Peter O'Malley. Then you welcome back Tag. Burn, uh, you know, Keith Earls, Conway, you know, the list just keeps on going. Then all of a sudden, you know, RG Snyman as well, the squad is getting so much stronger and you're picking up a couple of wins and that's just what they need at the minute. Monster are improving, they are improving, but they just come up against a much better Leinster and I totally agree with Ruby, there's a, there's a gulf between the two sides at the minute. Ian, there will be boosted today by the news that John Ryan, uh, the prop, is going to sign with them. Um, he's coming from Wasps after they went into administration. And um, just being a former player, for him to come back will, will I suppose, look, it'll, it'll just give them that little bit of a lift that they need. Yeah, it is. In fairness, probably, I don't know if they should have let him go in, in the first place because as the... Uh, as Stephen said, there like there is, they 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 need um they need to have a good solid front row. And Keenan Knox, yeah, he's young and he's still learning his trade, and he'll take a lot from that that game on the on the weekend. But uh, as Stephen there coming into Europe, they need two solid front rows. And John Ryan, and unfortunately Stephen Archer has gone to get surgery now, so it looks like uh, with John um, in his unfortunate position of um, in what he's actually a welcome um, a welcome return to the province for, for three months and they'll probably, they'll probably need him to the end of the season to be honest with you because he's a very good he's a very good scrummager and he'll bring a lot of experience to that to, the, to those young guys who are around him Stephen obviously O'Cullen played Kieran Frawley at full back at the weekend and he offered another attacking angle for Leperstown playing or Leperstown say Leinster playing opposite Johnny Sexton but does he also add Dandy Farrell? Hugo Keenan is an injury concern. Obviously, Joey Carberry went off at the weekend. They're going into Irish camp today. Has Kieran Frawley stuck his hand up as a utility back that is going to be in that first day squad? Yeah, I think he was playing there just because they're a little short um, uh, on full backs at the minute. Uh, he's a good baller. We know we all know that. But he hit some cracking lines. Some made some really good delayed passes. Um, made his tackles. Um, looked very comfortable. Something with Frawley is that 
like he isn't that durable um, and I think he just needs game time and it doesn't really matter where it is in the pitch at the minute um, and as long as he's showing what, he, what he's all about uh, I think Crowley had such a good emerging Ireland tour that you know, I thought it was disappointing that he wasn't in um, the main squad for uh, for the upcoming internationals in the autumn but he'll get his chance and you know Frawley I think is, is definitely putting his hand up to be Ireland's number two because he looks very at home and you know, especially playing in a, a Leinster backline, it's the ticking and firing on all cylinders. I thought, you know, Gary Ringrose this season has just been incredible. Um, I might have said last year, you know, he was under a bit of pressure by James Hume up in Ulster and he maybe wasn't playing his best rugby, but him and Robbie Henshaw in the middle are making the likes of Frawley and uh, Johnny Sexton's lives very, very easy. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Frawley in the, in the next few weeks. Ian, uh, Connacht got a win over Scarlets and uh, look, a much needed, needed one as well after their poor start to this season and Andy Friend seemed pretty impressed especially with their defence conceding only three tr- tries in three weeks Yeah, they, they obviously beat Munster a few weeks ago and then they did have a very good uh, performance against Leinster the week after when they only lost 10-0 but it was very good um, it was a good platform to build on and as you said there they got the bonus point win against the Scarlets and uh, it all started off straight from the start. They kicked off and Scarlets um, weren't able to exit. They got blocked down and it was one-way traffic from then. But like the start from Connacht, just, it just got the crowd involved. They just built momentum. You could see their confidence grow. Um, so, yeah, it's, it was much needed a win for Connacht after their start. And uh, they've got a, they've got another, another not must-win, but a very, um, very not easy win against the Ospreys away and if they if they could pick up another win there it would really put them in a good position considering their start at the start of the season Yeah for sure and those games are coming thick and fast Stephen and Ian thank you so much for joining us we're going to take a very quick break but do stay with us because Greg Allen is standing by to talk about Roy McIlroy RTE 2FM Live music on 2FM Lewis Capaldi at 3 Arena Dublin January 30th Tickets available this Friday at 9am from Ticketmaster.ie Lewis Capaldi live in Dublin Tickets available this Friday Live music on 2FM this Halloween at Super Value, we've got amazing offers to help you save, like Super Value Barnbrack, now half price. Super Value Pumpkins from €2. Euro. Graham Norton He Devil Malbec, save 33%. And don't forget, with Super Value's unbeatable own brand range, along with money off vouchers every week, Super Value makes saving money as easy as one, two, three. Enjoy alcohol responsibly. Here's a commercial with a lot of T's and C's, but with a very simple message. Switch your motor insurance to AIG, receive a quote online at AIG.ie, and get a 65% discount if you're sick. Six years are over claim free, plus a 10% new business discount. Simply put, click, switch and save. And now the serious bit. Normal underwriting acceptance criteria apply. Applies to new AIG direct car customers only. Minimum premium applies. Offer valid until December 31st, 2022. AIG Europe SA is authorised by the Luxembourg Ministry of Finance and supervised by the Luxembourg Commissioner for Insurance and is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland for conduct of business. Think about it. 65% off plus another 10% discount. Thank you, AIG. 
Get more for free at DID Electrical with free gifts, including a free Brita filter jug, free digital scale, free three months of washing powder, or free three months of dishwasher tablets on selected large appliances over €299. Plus, unmissable savings on your favourite brands. Only at your local DID Electrical and DID.ie. At DID Electrical, we will not be beaten on price. Double the difference guaranteed. T's and C's apply. Tracy Clifford on 2FM. Here we go. Tell us where in the song the clip ends for 5,000 euro. So kiss me the way that you would if we died tonight. 46 seconds. 46 seconds, you're saying. Dervla, you've just won five thousand oh euro. Be in the now with Tracy Clifford. Weekdays from twelve on RTE Two FM. Game on on Two FM. Yeah, it uh, means a lot. Um, yeah, I've I've worked so hard over the last twelve months to get myself back to this to this place. Uh, feel like I'm enjoying the game as much as I ever have. Uh, I absolutely love the game of golf and I think that, you know, when I go out there and I play with that joy, you know, it's definitely showed over over these last 12 months, but um, yeah, it feels awesome. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to celebrate with my team tonight and, you know, the next couple of weeks because I think it's a, it's a big achievement. I'm, I'm really proud of myself right now and, uh, you know, I want to go and enjoy this. What do you enjoy more about the game now? Uh, I think just the, the 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 journey of trying to get the best out of myself. I think that's the that's the satisfying thing. I, I you never I'd never feel like I've figured this game out. I don't think I ever will figure it out. But um, every day I wake up trying to get closer. He mightn't have figured it out, Greg, but he has figured out a way of becoming world number one for the ninth time. That's yeah, it's hard start. to believe. You know, he's. Um what is he, 33 years of age. He started his world number one journey t- over 10 years ago in about March of 2012. There's a very interesting um, set of statistics at the moment, actually just referring back to 2012 when he hit world number one for the first time. And it's a, it's a data uh, golf uh, analysis of Rory's game over the last 10 years. And he hit peaks in terms of all the data, you know, the driving, the iron play, the putting, the short game, he hit peaks in his excellence of the game in 2012, in 2014, and they were the years, you know, when he was winning majors. He has just hit a peak yesterday, higher than any peak he has actually set in his entire career in terms of every aspect of his game. So he is genuinely really excited and thinks, I think, that this is a a rebirth of his game to some degree because it's not that long ago that he was in a a serious doldrum. Uh, He was 16th in the world rankings in April of 2021 last year. And I think anybody might remember, you know, that was a bit emotional, that interview last night, but the interview that he did at the Ryder Cup after, you know, a first two days when he played terribly, really, by his own high standards, and then beat Xander Shoffley in the singles on Sunday when it really didn't matter because the match was over. And he gave a very emotional interview. Uh, He really tried hard, obviously, to get back into some sort of vein of form. But even at the Valero Texas Open, just before the Masters, he missed the cut there, and he wasn't really firing on the same degree of cylinders as he is right now. And then that final round of the Masters of 64 came from nowhere, finished second, and it just seemed to flick a switch. And from there, 
the work on his putting, the work on his uh, short game or wedge play, which has been much criticised, really has been reflected in the statistics at the end of last season. He went from 156th in wedge play up to 42nd and then putting from 66th to 16th. The significance of that is they're the areas that he was weak at. He's not weak at many other areas. So the areas that he's weak at, he has shored up hugely. And now really, you know, he is just playing the best probably golf of his life, arguably, in terms of the actual numbers that he's shooting week in, week out. Last five tournaments, he's won, tied fourth, fourth, tied second, and won again. So this is a huge vein of form. It remains to be seen with the end of the season coming up. He's got Dubai, the end of the DP World Tour season. Very, very strong chance he'll win that and win both the Dubai Race to Dubai Championship as well as the FedEx Cup Series. Yes, there are no majors in this season, but Greg Norman was six years effectively at world number one, only winning two majors. So, you know, being world number one is a big step for him. And I think, you know, there's no question about it. If he's going to have a chance of winning majors, he's in a fillet of form right now that will see him enter 2023 with, I think, the favourites tagging his back before every major. That may or may not be a good thing. He was really emotional, Greg. What would you put that down to? Because I think he genuinely felt that it was slipping away. Something was slipping away in the game. The level to which his putting and his wedge play was holding him back. Um, you know, I, I remember him at the Ryder Cup. I was there. And, like, you're talking about a really almost combustibly emotional uh, individual at that stage. And you do wonder if it's going to come back. When the game keeps slipping away and coming back again, games keep slipping away and coming back again, you wonder, is it just going to someday just slip away and not come back? But he has worked so hard. He's mm -hmm. got a great tight team. He referred to them. I mean, like his caddy Harry has taken a lot of criticism because he wasn't, as some people thought, a professional caddy. Harry is a stonkingly good caddy, highly regarded in the so-called caddy shack, and also is a fine player, a plus two handicapper when he won the West of Ireland Championship. And he's also Rory's best friend. So who more do you want on your bag? Uh, his, his business manager, Donald and Sean, Bob Rotel has come in, done a bit of work, in the background, Roy doesn't like to refer to it, but noticeably he did refer to it yesterday. And Brad Faxon, who really has transformed his putting. Now, Rory has to take the putts, but Brad Faxon has given him a routine that he buys into, that he understands. And there's no question about it that all of those factors, the tight team around him and the confidence and the amount of work that he's put in is building into a situation where he could have the best years of his career ahead of him. I genuinely think that. I'm not just saying it because people think I'm a big supporter of Rory. <laughs> I am a big supporter of Rory. He's the world number one. He's just laden with talent. And now he seems to have a bit of wherewithal between the ears as well. OK, give us a prediction for 2023, Greg. I think he's going to win. I think he's going to break his majors duck. Where he does it, I don't know. But obviously everybody wants him to do it at the Masters. And there's no better course for him. He shot 64 in the final round of the Masters for a reason, because the course is so perfectly set up for his game.